Welcome to Harrison Church. We're glad that you've joined us today. This week's message is sponsored by the Harrison Audiovisual Production Team, working to provide excellence in lighting, sound, and visuals at Harrison Church. With the busiest season of the year approaching, all help is appreciated. For information on ways that you can serve or get involved, email audiovisual at harrisonchurch.org. We hope you enjoy this week's message. Thank you, Charles. There are days in the Christian faith where that's the only thing we can pray is that, oh God, you are faithful. And how we know that God is faithful is that you're here and we're here together as God's people. Uh, If you are visiting with us today, um, we started a new sermon series last week and we're calling it Majoring in the Minors. And what I want us to do for the next few weeks is to consider some of these characters in the Old Testament. We call them the minor prophets. There's actually 12 of them. We won't be able to do all 12, but we will cover at least five of them. And of course, what makes them minors? Anybody remember what makes the minor prophets minor? What's, what is it? Yes, you get the badge, Patsy. Yeah, the minor prophets' books are just smaller than the books of the major prophets, like Ezekiel. You could read uh, the minor prophets in an hour, two hours. It'd take you a couple days to read Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Isaiah. Those are much longer because they're the major uh, prophets. And so, you know, last week we heard from a minor prophet, Amos. He was the first one to really preach to Israel. So today we're going to really hear the words of one of the most obscure of the minor prophets, Habakkuk. This is somebody like, you need, a, you need your table of contents to find him. Uh, this is not a popular name. You know, a lot of people aren't naming their children, you know, after Habakkuk. Jeremiah, yes. Isaiah, yes. But we're going to hear from Habakkuk. And I think what you'll find is that Habakkuk's message and what he wrestled with is, kind of, is major Indeed, especially after the events of uh, Sunday and Monday since we last met. So I'm going to be reading this morning from the minor prophet Habakkuk. That's hard to say. I'm going to be reading from the first chapter, and then I'm going to skip over to the second chapter. Now, the words are going to be behind me here on the screen. So I'm going to invite you to stand as you are able for the reading. And really hear the sermon. That's what Habakkuk was doing. Here's how Habakkuk begins his sermon. O Lord, how long shall I cry for help, and you will not listen? Or cry to you violence, and you will not save? Why do you make me see wrongdoing and look at trouble? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law becomes slack, and justice never prevails. The wicked surround the righteous, therefore judgment comes forth perverted. Any of you ever felt like Habakkuk before? Amazing. We're going to skip over to verse 2. Verse 2 begins God's response to Habakkuk. Habakkuk says, I will stand at my watch post and station myself on the rampart. I will keep watch to see what he, the Lord, will say to me and what he will answer concerning my complaint. And then the Lord answered me and said, write the vision. Make it plain on tablets so that a runner may read it. 
For there is still a vision for the appointed time. It speaks of the end and does not lie. If it seems to tarry, in other words, if it seems like it's never going to happen, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. God says, look at the proud. Their spirit is not right in them, but the righteous. Let's say that together. But the righteous live by their faith. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, I got to tell you, I, I plan to preach on this several weeks ago, and, and that it seems to speak to us already before I've even broken anything down. just shows you just how relevant God's word is to us. It speaks at any time and all the time. All right, so the prophet Habakkuk, let me give you a quick little background on him. What, what's going on is that Habakkuk seems to be preaching right before this, this huge nation called Babylon, which was to the north of Israel, right before they invaded Israel. And man, when, when Babylon invaded Israel, I mean, it was just, it was destruction. I mean, they just destroyed the nation uh, uh, of, of Israel. And so Habakkuk, what, what's going on is that evidently like a prophet, you feel, what, you feel the pain of the world and and Habakkuk just sees the waywardness of God's people. He sees the violence. He mentions violence all around. And, and what is fascinating is that Habakkuk begins his sermon by first asking a question directly to God. I was thinking, like, maybe I should have opened my sermon that way. You know, but Habakkuk just says straight out to God, not to anybody else, straight to God. He says, oh, Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not listen? How long will I cry out violence and you will not save? Why do I have to see, he says, all of this wrongdoing? That's Habakkuk, called by God. That's like the ultimate theological question, is it not? And Habakkuk is wrestling with it already. And you know what the question is, and we, we've talked about this before. You know, if God is good, why is there... So much injustice in the world. Now, the atheists nowadays, they kind of think that's their question. Have you noticed this? It's like they've, they've come up with their question on their own. Like they've got a corner on, ha, huh, well, see, how can you believe that God is good? Look at all the evil around us. Ha, 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 ha. Right? They think that they've got a corner on this. And no, no. If you really think about it, this question about why, why is there so much wrongdoing all around us? This is a biblical question. It came out of the Bible. It's not a question of people who don't have any faith. It's actually first the question of those who said, like Habakkuk, who live by faith. So don't think that the atheists have a corner on this question. It's biblical. It comes out of the Bible itself. We see Habakkuk here wrestling with it. And Habakkuk is not alone in this. Let's do a little bit of a review here. You think about the very first Jew. The father we call the father of Judaism, Islam, and Christianity. Who is that? Abraham. You go back to the book of Genesis. Abraham was the first person in the Bible to raise a challenge to God. God said, I'm going to judge Sodom and Gomorrah. And then, and then Abraham speaks up and says, what shall you, the Lord of justice, not do what is right? You know, there are a lot of ancient commentators, especially among the rabbis, who believe that that question is the reason that God chose Abraham to be the first Jew instead of Noah. Now, I'm not going to go on a Noah rant. I did that a few years ago. For those of you visiting, I got in trouble that day. But if you go back, 
Noah, when God says, I'm going to judge the world by a flood, what does Noah say in response? Nothing. Doesn't say a word. But yet Abraham hears God saying, I'm going to judge this uh, Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham says, what? Are you not going to do what is right? And that's why God actually chose Abraham and not Noah. He wants people to challenge him. That's interesting. Or you think about Moses. 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 We're talking Moses. Moses, before the congregation of God's people, raises his voice to heaven and says, Oh, God, why are you doing evil to this people? Well, let's think about the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 12, the first two verses. He's a major prophet, Jeremiah. But Jeremiah says to God, Lord, I wish to level a charge against you. And God says, Okay, what's the charge you want to bring towards me? And and Jeremiah says, Why do the wicked prosper? And why do you tolerate it? What do you think about Job? Job. We know Job. Job, for chapter after chapter, he keeps questioning God about all the injustices of his sufferings. And, and he keeps asking these questions until God finally speaks. And yet, when God speaks, God does not answer Job's questions. God actually responds with another laundry list of questions for Job. And now we got Habakkuk protesting, Lord, why? Why do we see so much injustice and wrongdoing in the world? Now, here's a thought for you. If you put all this together in the Bible, this is not the atheists. If you put this together in the Bible, it it seems to suggest to me that God actually wants us to ask this question. It seems to be the case that God really does want you. He wants us to ask, why is there so much wrong, injustice, and evil in the world? That's the first thing. Now, if you lived in the ancient world and even today, there were a few ways you could have addressed or explained why so much evil happens in the world. We do this today. One of the ways you could have explained the injustices of the world back in those days, just like today, is you could have appealed to atheism. You could have. People do that now. You could say... Well, there's not really a God anyway. Uh, There is no meaning in the world. So bad things happen because bad things happen. I'm sorry, i got to quote Rush again, my favorite band. Why does it happen? Because it happens, roll the bones. All right, I can't, I'm sorry. Right? But there's no meaning. It just happens. That's what an atheist could say. There's nothing. There is no explanation. They don't have to wrestle with this question. Another way that you could have uh, explained the injustices of the world, you could have appealed to what we call determinism. Determinism, in other other words, God exists, you're not an atheist, but God exists, but God has determined, he is in control of every good act that happens, and he's in control of every evil act that happens, and he's determined all these events, good and evil, to work together in this plot And it is a plot whose story may not make sense to you right now, but it will make sense to you in the sweet by and by. That's determinism. God is in control. He's orchestrated it. We just don't understand why. But then the other way you could have explained it is to say, well, God exists. He just doesn't care. You could have done it that way. And we got people today saying, I believe God exists. I just don't believe he cares. Now, here's what I want you to understand. The Bible really does reject each of those explanations. It rejects atheism. Well, that's obvious because the Bible presupposes that there is a God. And 
It rejects the idea that God exists but doesn't care about us because God expresses his care for us on almost every page of the Bible. You following me? And it rejects the idea that God has determined everything in advance. Otherwise, saints like Habakkuk would never ask him why. I mean, if, if Habakkuk and the other saints believe that God orchestrates everything, they wouldn't say, why, oh Lord, do all these wrongs happen in the world? You know what they would say? They would say, everything happens for a reason. But they don't say that at all. But I've already said to you that it seems to be the case that God actually wants us to ask this question. Why do so much injustices happen in our world? Now, the thing is, God does not ever answer our questions. In any part of the Bible, God never answers this question to our satisfaction. He never gives us like a solid explanation. But the best response God gives in the Bible is really what we just saw here in Habakkuk. I mean, what is God more or less telling Habakkuk here in his response? He says, wait for it. In the end, justice will prevail. Just wait for it. But he doesn't answer the question. Now, now here's what I want us to wrestle with for just a moment. We got, we got to actually wrestle with this. Why? Let's do a little exercise. Why is it that God wants us to ask why evil and injustice appear in the world and yet doesn't answer our questions? Why do you think this is? Why does God please when we ask, like Habakkuk, why is there so much injustice? But why doesn't God ever give us a fitting explanation? Anybody want to guess? That could be it. Come back to faith. What's that? Show you care? Okay, we're getting there. Here's here's what I think is going on, because I think this is absolutely critical. I think the reason why God wants us to ask why there's so much injustice in the world, but he won't give us an explanation, is because God wants us to take action against the evils and injustices of the world. Now, let's debate this. We can do this. But I think the reason God wants us to ask Habakkuk's questions is so that we will take action against evil and injustice when they happen. Now, I have said this before. Think about this. If God gave you and me a clear explanation for why all these injustices happen in the world, you know what we would end up doing? We would actually end up coming to terms with the evils and injustices in the world. What would happen is that we would see an act of evil happen and we would go, well, let me tell you the explanation. This, 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 this. All right, I'm good. Peace out. I'm going to go have a drink now. But think about this. By leaving all of these questions unanswered, God wants us to be the answer to our own questions. This is throughout the Bible that God has called you and me to be a part of righting the wrongs of the world. That's why he wants us to ask it, but that's why he doesn't answer it. So that you and I will be a part of righting the wrongs of the world. And, you know, back this past Monday, I mean, didn't we just see a a great wrong I mean, a great act of evil. Here we go again. This is, what, my third time? I can't remember. Third time since I've been here, there's been another mass shooting. How many people died? Was it 58? 
58 people died. We've had over 500 injured, and, and we just have to look at this in horror. Now, if you're an atheist, all you've got to say is, well, why did that happen? Well, there's no real reason why it happened. There's no meaning to the universe at all. It happened because it happened. That's all. And now we've got to deal with it. The determinists among us would say, well, God's in control, and we'll understand why it happened a little bit later on. But I'm going to tell you, the Bible absolutely refuses to give us that kind of consolation. We don't know why it happened. Therefore, God says to us, can you do something against this evil and injustice that has just occurred? God will not give us the answer, but God wants us. God wants us to do something about it. You know, and I was thinking, even on Monday and Tuesday, people already started saying, well, you know, there's nothing that can be done. There's nothing that can be done. There's nothing that can be done at all. I'm going to tell you, as your pastor, and biblically speaking, that response that nothing can be done is the incorrect response. There's something that can be done. We live in a world of free choice. And if we have freedom of choice, we can do something. The question is, will we muster up enough courage to do something about it? You know, I heard, I had to go to Atlanta this past Tuesday, and I remember driving down. I was listening to some uh, talk radio shows, and I remember they just kept kind of playing snippets of what was going on in Las Vegas. And I heard the prayers of a few pastors and I was listening to their prayers, that they were praying in front of the people that were gathered around, and, and they were very sincere prayers. I mean, one of the pastors said something at, right at the very tail end of his prayer. He said, he said oh God, we are looking to you. Can, you. can you jump in? Can you just jump into our situation? Oh God, we're looking to you to jump in. And then there was another pastor, and I recognized his voice. I just could not pin him down. He's, he seems to be pretty popular. But, but he prayed a prayer like this. He said, oh God, we're looking to you to do something amazing. Do something amazing, God. You know what I think God would actually be saying in response to those prayers? I think God would be saying to us, why don't you jump in? Why don't you do something amazing? I mean, what more can God do? I'm serious. What more can God do? He's given us the commandments. He's given us the Holy Scriptures. We believe as Christians that God actually, His Word came down from heaven and became flesh in Jesus of Nazareth. And this man, this man walked among us and he showed us how we should live. He's the one who said, whoever lives by the sword will die by the sword. Now we would say, you're politicizing things, Lord. And then this Savior of ours, not only did he die for us, he rose again for us. But then, there was more that happened. The same Savior then filled you and me with his Holy Spirit and empowered us to get to work Righting the wrongs of the world. What more can God do? Yes, we can ask Habakkuk's question. Lord, how long shall we cry to you, but you will not save? But I think now is the time where God is looking to us and he will say, How long am I going to cry to you? And you will not save. God has willed 
that he will not, I'll emphasize this to you again, God will not right the injustices of our world without us. He is not going to let us eat our popcorn and watch him do it. It's why he called disciples. It's why he empowered the church to get to work right in the wrongs of this world. I mean, we, we have just accepted, let's just, we have accepted a society in which we believe everybody should have access to instruments of war if necessary. And we wonder, why do we see all of this bloodshed? We have accepted a world like this. But the Bible refuses to let us say there's nothing that can be done. We actually can do something. You know, Pastor Kyle and I this week, I think it was on uh, Wednesday, we, we were talking about, like, think about, think about drunk driving. I grew up in the late 1970s and the 80s, and I can remember all of these uh, newscasts coming on about the drunk driving fatalities that this this kept happening. And, you know, if you think about it, people by and large did not say about that, well, you know, there's nothing that can't be done. People are always just going to drive drunk. We're just going to have to set the fatalities. No. Do you remember this? You remember those mothers? You remember those mothers who lost children and they got fed up with this? What do we call it? Mad? Mothers against drunk driving, and they did something? And all of a sudden, people had to listen to them, and they got some stuff done. And it made a difference. Yeah. Drunk driving happens today, but it made a difference. And, and, and it's not like, and Kyle was saying this, it's not like those mothers said, well, you know, we're going to have to get rid of every car on the highway, and everybody's going to have to ride tricycles. They didn't say that. They said, but there are things we can do to make things safer. And let me say, you know, th- this, is, this is not just about guns. It's not just about guns. Although, I would love to have a theological debate just among Christians. How should we, reflecting on the life of Jesus, how should we really think about guns? But it's more than just guns. See, this, this is about the choices that you and I make on a daily basis. Some of them are big, some of them are small. I mean, we, we want... We watch, we're entertained by violence. We're glued to our screens, our phones, while we watch violence. We play video games that condone violence. We let our children play with toys that promote the idea of violence. And then we wonder, why is there so much violence among us? So this is not just about guns. This is about the choices you and I make. I mean, it was a few years ago. I, I've got to, I've got to sh- t- share with you what James Howell, he was the senior pastor when I was the associate at Myers Park several years ago, and he preached, there was another mass shooting, and I remember he said something like this. He says, what if every Christian, we underestimate our power as Christian people. He says, what if every Christian in the United States from now on, anytime you went to a movie theater and you saw someone getting shot on the screen, or if you turned on the TV and you saw people getting murdered on the screen, what if every Christian either walked out of the theater every time this happened or refused to watch the movies or the shows? I'm going to tell you something. That would make a difference. But it's about the choices that we make. But we just accept that this is the world that we're going to live in. No. There was someone on staff who shared with me uh, his, uh, his Facebook feed. I don't have a Facebook account, but there's like this huge debate going back and forth. You know, and then finally, people just said, well, you know, people just need Jesus. People just need Jesus. People just need Jesus. Well, I work for Jesus. 
People need Jesus. But I'll tell you this. Jesus needs us or he would not have called you. We ask why these things happen. And God's hope is that we'll get to work writing them. That's why. God, at the very end of this passage, responds to Habakkuk, his why. And then Habakkuk hears these words, that the righteous, Habakkuk, in a world of violence, they will live by their faith. Now, we, we, we kind of have come to understand faith to mean, like, optimism. Like, somebody will tell you, uh, just have faith. You ever heard that before? Oh, just have faith. Just, just believe. Just click your heels three times, and you'll open your eyes, and magic will happen. That's not what faith means. That's not what faith meant when Habakkuk heard these words. I'm going to preach a sermon on this one of these days, but faith in the Bible was not a feeling that you had. And it certainly wasn't optimism. What, what God meant by you shall live by faith is that faith means I am going to commit my entire life to doing what God has called me to do. I'm going to invest everything I've got to live in obedience with the person that God has called me to be. That's what faith means. Faith means I'm going to be loyal. Faith means I'm going to be I'm going to pledge allegiance to this God and to God's ways. And so when, when Habakkuk hears, the righteous shall live by faith, what that meant is that the, the righteous shall live by their commitment to be what God has called them to be. The righteous shall make different choices. The righteous shall live differently. Yes, the righteous shall ask along with Habakkuk, why do we see so much injustice and evil in the world? Yes, we ask that question. But the righteous commit themselves to doing something about the evil and the injustice of the world. Live by faith. Commit yourself to what Jesus has called us to be. My brothers and sisters, let us not dare ask God to do something amazing. Ask God to help us to do something amazing. So let's pray. Well, Lord, that's your response. We ask why, and you show us the crucified, Jesus. That's your answer. And Jesus on the cross said, be a people who get to work in my name. Build my kingdom until it comes in full. Even Jesus himself asked, my God, my God, why? But I pray, Lord, that we will be the answer to our questions. You will not right the evils and the injustices of the world without us. So, Lord, now you're praying to us. Will you save? How long shall God cry out to us violence and we will not listen?
So, Lord, empower us to do something amazing. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. For more information on classes, upcoming events, or how to get involved, visit us online at harrisonchurch.org.